Coming up on the first episode of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2018, we catch up with champion darters Carl Jackson, the Darwin Barthets Rebecca Dunbar, the Melbourne Demons Catherine Smith, and co-founder and editor of girlsplayfooty.com Matt Marsden. That's all coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the first episode of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2018, our fourth year of doing these podcasts. And a special thank you to those who've listened all the way back from episode one in 2015 and a welcome to those who might be joining us for the first time. On this podcast, we aim to not just cover AFLW, but also women's football at the state league level in Australia and how women's football is developing overseas as well. And we cover off a little bit of everything in this very first podcast for 2018. Our first guest is going to focus specifically on AFLW. His name is Carl Jackson, who joins us from Champion Data. They've put out a new book called The AFLW Perspective. It looks at the data breakdown of every single player that played in the inaugural AFL women's competition. It gives you a little bit of a guide to how these players may perform in 2018 and who really needs to lift as well to keep their spot because obviously we've got a bunch of talented youngsters that are coming through the youth girls system all looking to get their spot on an AFLW list. Carl, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. How are you? I'm great, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all. Thanks for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. Uh, Let's talk about this AFLW prospectus that's out now. How did the idea of creating this prospectus come about? Well, back in 2006, we released the first version of the AFL Prospectus, so that's been going on every year, talking about the men's competition. Um, we'll be into our 13th edition of that in 2018, and obviously with the last season being the first of the AFLW, we thought we'd continue that tradition and, and write a women's-only book. And what's the feedback been like on the book so far, particularly from the players who I guess for the first time are seeing in, in black and white what the data says about them? Yeah, well, we haven't actually spoken to the players personally to get what their opinions, but hopefully it's all positive. Um, and obviously there's going to be a couple of players that might not be too happy with their profiles, ones who might have got a couple of negative comments in there. But from what we've heard of the, the AFL coach, AFLW coaches in particular, uh, very happy about it. Great kind of resource for them to prepare for the season as well. And what's the amount of time and manpower that, that it took to collect all this data throughout the season? So the way that we operate is that we actually collect all the data live. So we've got 10 people working on every game uh, to, to get the information. So most, most of it coming from one person who's calling the game essentially like a commentator. That's being recorded into our database uh, by what we call a keyboarder. Each of those people have someone sitting next to them doing QA. Um, so checking that the right stats have been called, the right ones have been entered. We also got every kick. We record how much pressure they're under, whether they're left or right foot, how long they're kicking it, what their target was, uh, and information on where every where every stat happens and interchanges throughout. So yeah, there's actually quite a quite a large amount of data collected. And then yeah, the process of writing the book itself was was a big process as well. I mean, writing writing profiles for all of the 241 players, I believe there is. Uh, and team profiles and just collating that information all into a book form. It certainly goes a long way since the days of just uh, kicks and handballs and marks. Um, Is is the way that you collect uh, match day data any different between the AFL women's competition and AFL men's? So the only difference is that we don't record the match-ups data for the AFLW. So that's recording which players are playing on each other. So trying to identify taggers and key defence roles 
Um, outside of that, the, the, the number of stats we capture and the amount of information we've got for the AFLW is identical to what we do for the men's competition. Uh, did, did any of the players' data surprise you? Were any better or worse than you first thought, looking through the naked eye, thinking that's a good footballer and actually the data might show something different? Uh, so I think there's, there's definitely players that popped up during last season that we were kind of surprised with. Um, I mean, ones that kind of flew under the radar a little bit before the season started. Um, Emily Bates was on for me being a Brisbane supporter. Um, she she was probably their best player. I think she won the DNF, so no surprises there. But other players like uh, even Cara Dunellan and Dana Hooker at Frio kind of popped up out of nowhere and Hannah Scott of the Bulldogs. And I guess on the negative side, without really wanting to pot too many players, Again, being a Brisbane supporter, Taylor Harris was one that didn't have a, a great year. I mean, her contested marking numbers were great, um, but in front of goal, she only kicked four goals from 17 shots and three from 11 inside 30 metres. So, obviously, that'll be something that, that she'll be aware of trying to fix up at Carlton. And I guess just on that quickly, as much as we do talk about any negative stats that some players do have, I guess by having that now in black and white, it puts it to them during this pre-season that, hey, this is what you need to work on for 2018. Absolutely. Um, And, I mean, having spoken to a few AFLW coaches and players, there's definitely a big emphasis on what the, the lingo at the moment is, the RFIs, Room for Improvement. So rather than seeing it as just a negative for a player, they're, they're treating it as, as things that they need to work on. And how far have we come when it comes to data and vision for female footballers in the last few years? Yes, yeah, so obviously last year was the first AFLW competition with the amount of data that we're, we're capturing. And before that, we, we, would, we did full coverage of the exhibition games um, back to, I think, 2013 or 14. You might correct me on that. was the first one. Um, but outside of that, there was... There was no coverage of um, local football, state league competitions or, or juniors coming through. So 2017, we also did the under-18 championships for the women. And next year, we'll do the same. Sorry, this year, 2018, we'll do the same. Um, and we'll, we're also expecting to cover all of the state league competitions. So the West Australian competition, sample, a uh, Victorian competition. And I think there's an Eastern Seaboard competition between the... New South Wales and Queensland teams happening as well. And I guess now, because we do have established AFLW lists, people are now looking more closely at who they're going to be drafting. And obviously the big focus is on the under-18s, which you are covering. Um, uh, any players stand out to you in particular from the 2017 Carnival that A, may have been recruited or could be recruited by the likes of Geelong and North Melbourne that were underage players for when new clubs come in 2019? Yeah, so the three standout players from the under-18 champs last year uh, all were, were not drafted this year. So two, because they were bottom-age players, Maddie Prisparkis from Vic Metro and Alice Parker from New South Wales, and then Chloe Shear from South Australia uh, is missing next season through injury. But six of the top 10 players at the championships were bottom-ages. So the two I mentioned before, as well as, well as Maddie Doric, Rosie Deegan, Jordan Jolliffe, and Michaela Bowen, so they're definitely ones to look out on, look out for. In terms of the ones that got drafted, I mean, AFLW supporters outside of South Australia might want not want to know it, but the three top players were all South Australians. So Jess Allen, Eloise Jones, and Brianna Walling, we had the three best draft age players at the championships. 
And of course, so, uh, Jess Allen being a uh, getting stronger. Yeah, Jess Allen as well being a uh, top ten uh, draft pick. Yeah, sorry, she she was one of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, from looking at the first season's data, uh, what part of the game do female footballers probably need to improve on the most? Yeah, so I mean, there's been a little bit of talk about the congestion levels in AFLW, and I think the AFL's brought in the, the last touch rule to try and combat that. But two of the things that that go a long way to describing that are uh, tackle efficiency. So how often players laying a tackle, lay an effective tackle. So the flip side is how often can players get the ball away when they're tackled. So in AFL level, it's 67%. So 33% of players, when they're getting tackled, can then get an effective disposal away. AFLW is 77%. So that drops by 10% down to 23%. So the difference between one in three players or one in four players being able to get the ball away and the other one is is in, with the marking. So the other thing that I noticed in AFLW was a lot of drop marks. So one in nine uncontested marking attempts was, was being dropped in AFLW last season, and that's compared to about one in 30 in the men's competition. So whether there's an influence of the smaller ball, the, the player's not been quite being used to it. Uh, we'll, we'll see whether there's an improvement this year. Uh, with the data that we now have, um, do you think we'll see something like an AFLW Fantasy League start up, like we've got with, say, Supercoach and Dream Team? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those competitions are run by third parties. We provide data for them, but we don't have the sort of control over that. But the, the data from the data that we've got, we could we could easily feed a Supercoach or a Dream Team competition. So there's no reason why it couldn't happen. Excellent. Let's hope that uh, the women do get one up sooner rather than later. And finally, yeah. with this uh, fantastic book, this AFLW Prospectus, if people are looking to get their hands on it uh, as a guide as we head into 2018, um, where can they do so? Well, at this stage, we're only selling the book online. We don't have any physical copies in stores, but they can be bought online at championdata.com.au, and there's a link there to our store. So they're $25 with free postage. So uh, get on to that, so therefore you can take a little bit more of a detailed look into AFL women's. Carl, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy and all the very best for the task of collecting all that data throughout the 2018 AFLW season and the respective state league seasons throughout the year. No worries. Thanks for having me. As much as most women's football is currently on a break, whether it be the off-season for a majority of state leagues or pre-season for the AFL women's competition, there is one women's league currently underway, as is every year. It's the Northern Territory Football League. Both the men and the women play throughout the summer there during the wet season up in Darwin. And at the moment, it's Waratah on top of the table, Palmerston, and then the third place, Darwin Buffett, who won the premiership last year. We've got on the line their premiership ruck and a ruck with the Aussie Sparks, the two of the USA, Rebecca Dunbar joins us on the line. Beck, how are you? Good, thank you. Good to be here. Good to have you on the line. Now, before we talk about your recent uh, Aussie Sparks tour, let's take a step back in time. Now, before you played footy, I believe you originally played rugby union. That's right, yeah. I played um, lock, so one of the taller positions on the field, obviously, uh, for rugby union for about three years before I switched over to AFL. (laughs) And uh, when you were playing rugby, was there a tough decision to play AFL or not? Because uh, obviously rugby sevens is going fantastic for women's, as we saw at the recent Olympics. Yeah, it's it's just really taken off um, sevens in the top end as well for women. So that's a lot more for... um, 
the smaller, a lot more quicker people. So it really um, helped my transition into AFL uh, once we switched to sevens. <laughs> so you, let's talk about AFL. How did the conversation originally come about for you to end up playing at the Darwin Buffets? <laughs> Well, it's a funny story, actually. Um, one of the powerhouses on our team, Kylie Duggan, she can run all day. Um, her dad actually tracked me down on the street and asked me if I wanted to play. <laughs> so he gave me all the contact details from the captain, and um, yeah, I rocked up for training when it was when preseason started, and I said I'd I'd give it a go. And did you find the transition easy from union to AFL? Um, absolutely not. My first, like, the 360ness, I guess, of AFL compared to rugby, where you all run up in a in a single line, kind of one direction. The the 360ness of AFL really threw me. So it took me maybe one season to get used to that. And when you did get used to it, it ended up paying off great dividends because we know Waratah had been such a strong yeah. club in the NTFL. But last year, what was the thrill like for the Buffets of Darwin to finally break through, break that stranglehold Waratah had on the premiership and come away with your own NTFL women's flag? Oh, that was amazing. I can't describe the feeling because we definitely put in the hard yards for, to win that flag. Like We put in the extra hours, the extra training, and we just really came together as a team. And um, you could definitely see that in the finals and the games leading up to the finals. And after taking out that flag, of course, normally you play during the wet season, during our summer, but they started yeah. they started up this uh, four-team competition in uh, the Northern Territory during your winter to keep everyone fit and ready, particularly for the NT squad to, to play with the Crows. Did you end up playing in the four-team tournament? Yeah, that's right. Um, I played last uh, sorry, the year before last and last year as well. So we played in a, they call it the Lightning Series, the NTAFL call it the Lightning Series up here. Um, so last year I played in a squad um, with some Adelaide Crows players as well. So that was just a wealth of knowledge under the AFL Academy and I got to see how they train and play. And um, we ended up, at the end of that comp, we ended up playing the Alice Springs Pink Tails down at Alice Springs. That was a great game to play as well. And after that, you signed up for the Aussie Sparks tour. How did that all come about? Because it wasn't an easy decision to go on this tour because for everyone that played, um, it's not a, a cheap trip, trip at all to go to California. No. No. So it was, we paid all our expenses, um, but we could pay in installments, which is easier for me. Um, I'm not sure about the other players. But, um, so what happened was one of our players from Buffett's knew um, the person that ran it and she kind of shared her link to um, the nomination form. And this was in July last year. So I thought, I'd, you know, Lightning Series is wrapping up. I thought I'd just give this a go. Um, what I had told myself what's the absolute worst that could happen. <laughs> you don't get picked and then what? <laughs> And you did, and you end up heading with the Aussie Sparks over to California. What What was that thinking that, oh, heck, I'm with an Australian team and I'm touring overseas? I know. I know. It was so crazy to receive the letter to say that I got selected and just to um, see the calibre that was going over there, like Cara Donnellan and Nicole Gray, the coach. They were just a wealth of knowledge. Like, we went over there and two of the girls got selected in the um, – in the draft at their respective AFLW team. So um, Emily Maguire got selected for Frio Dockers and Mel Freckleton got selected for the GWS Giants. Just every girl that went over there was had something to learn from.
And how big a morale boost was that? You're over on the other side of the world. You're halfway <laughs> during your tour. You all sit together and you see Emily Maguire's name get picked out and you think that's it. And then, then, and then the next day, Melissa Freckleton gets a phone call to say that she got picked up as a free agent. Oh, it was so great. And it was really great to sit down as a team, um, that team that went away with us. We all sat in the hotel room and watched the draft. It was also really great to see two of my fellow and teammates um, get picked. So Jazzy um, Hewitt and Calista Boyd, oh, that was just, it was really good to be a part of a mutual team for that. Also as well, before we talk about how you help the USAFL players, uh, you managed to go around a number of universities. What impressed you most about uh, this tour to have a look at um, how they prepare as professional athletes in the college sports environment over there? Just the level that they put the effort that coaches and university staff put into the athletes over there, it's a whole, it was just so eye-opening. It's a whole other level of the training that they do compared to Australian universities, I think. It was amazing. <laughs> Has that changed in any way, your perspective? Have you now prepared yourself for uh, playing football? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've seen the work, work ethic that, um, Cara Donnellan puts in it just even in her off season while it was over there. And I've just really taken that on board. Like the stuff that you put into in the off season can have a big impact to your performance in the on season. Always be prepared. <laughs> There's a rumor going around that the girls that went over were a bunch of nerds because um, after one day, <laughs> after one day, I think of helping out and running water at the USAFL Nationals. Apparently, the team had asked Gravesy if they could all go back to the hotel room and have another coaching lesson from Gravesy. Yes, uh, she was really good at the like the presentations. She was just the way that she presented herself and spoke in those presentations was so inspiring to do better in yourself as an individual. Even though she was speaking at the group, you could really get the feel that she was inspiring everyone. It was oh, incredible. And just on that, and you spoke about Karen, what did it mean to be able to be on a tour with someone who's won another WAWFL premiership with Swan yeah. Districts, being the coach in Gravesy, and Cara, of course, being the captain of the Fremantle Dockers? I know. It's just, oh, I can't. I knew that she was going over and I tried not to freak out too much when I saw her, <laughs> but she's a very humble person and just any questions that I had, she answered. And yeah, like I said, just to be in her presence and to see how she held herself in um, her personality and, you know, around other people, it was really inspiring to see, um, to be in her presence. Now, while you're over there, you had the opportunity to uh, train alongside the San Francisco Iron Maidens at Hippie Hill in San Francisco, uh, train alongside the Sacramento Lady Suns, and then, of course, uh, played as part of the two Aussie Sparks games against the USAFL uh, Combine. Now, considering you've trained with some AFLW players, you play state league football, and now that you've played with the USAFL girls, you've seen varying different degrees of football. How do you rate the style, from your point of view, of US women's football? Well, I actually asked one of the girls, um, one of the players from the LA Dragons, I think. Um, I asked her what background most of their AFL girls had come from, and she said gridiron. And I interestingly saw that come across to the AFL because a few of their tackles were quite high. But just the, the endurance of the girls was is definitely up there with our 
standard of football, I think, like they've got it there. They just need to refine their skills and get those tackles lower. <laughs> Yeah, indeed, I think that's one thing that Cole Gross is worried about in one of the practice matches. Because yeah. oh, geez, they they tackle they tackle a bit hard. I, I a guess, bit hard. <laughs> I guess that's one thing that people have been talking about with women's football, and it even happened at AFLW last year. I guess it, it, it's the females trying to learn the tackling technique. Which, to be yeah. fair, I guess for many women, most have not played junior football because it wasn't allowed to them so many years ago. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, um, I know that there's a few um, pathway programs in place for girls like that as well, just just popping up now because of the AFLW um, taking off. So that's just really good to see. But I think um, from a personal perspective, I worked really hard in rugby union to get my tackles low and fair, and that's really come across and really helped me a lot in AFL. So I'm really glad I... I did. I um, took that up. <laughs> What's the biggest lesson you thought you took away from this uh, tour of uh, the United States? Um, in I guess a personal growth, I think take a chance. Like it was such a big leap for me, being the only person from ENT. I had no, I didn't know anyone else going, and I had big names to follow under as well. I think for me, just you know, taking a chance. Um, and fighting your fears was a big growth for me as well. And your fondest memory of California? Oh, my fondest memory. <laughs> Let me think. Probably one of the escape rooms. So we went to escape rooms in um, LA and it was just the funniest thing, trying to work together as a team in an enclosed space. <laughs> Uh, it was a lot more laughs than scares. <laughs> <laughs> certainly unique, certainly unique. Um, back home, of yes. course, uh, you're midway through the season now with the Dar- Darwin Buffets sitting third on the table, yes. one win behind Palmerston and two wins behind yes. Waratah. Uh, what do you think the team needs to do to be able to get over those two sides and claim back-to-back premierships? Um, we've definitely put in the work over the Christmas break. So we, we shut down for two weeks over Christmas and we've been um, training on our regular days as well as an extra day, just doing more circuit um, high cardio work as well because we know that um, our skills are up there. But what's going to take us over the line is our fitness as well. So um, we know that a lot of teams might take that break over Christmas, but we definitely put in the work. So we're ready. We're definitely more than ready to take on the um, teams once it starts up this weekend. It was announced in November 2017 that the Northern Territory will field a side in the Victorian Football League women's competition for the 2018 season. Have you yeah. thrown your hat in the ring to have a go at playing with the NT Thunder? That would be the dream. Like, um, I've, I've definitely put in my nomination forms and voiced my excitement to the NTAFL Academy. And um, what I think they're doing is just waiting until this season finishes and they've been watching who plays and who's the rising star in this local comp. But um, I guess in a personal perspective, all I can do is put in the hard yards and then let it all out on the field. Sorry, get more, sorry. I was going to say, what would it mean for you personally to be playing up against the calibre of the VFLW teams? It would just be a wealth of experience and knowledge that I couldn't get in a local comp. And I, the end dream for me is to play in AFLW. And this is just the stepping stone to get there. It might, I might not have get, got kicked in the draft, but this VFL opportunity, if I got it, would definitely put me in the spotlight as 
on my pathway to where I want to go. <laughs> and just quietly, what would you do with the frequent flyer miles on the seven or so trips down to Melbourne? <laughs> um, I would ask for extra leg room every time. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that is completely fair enough. Beck, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy. We wish you all the very best throughout the remainder of the NTFL women's season and uh, best of luck trying out for the NT Thunder side. Thank you so much. Thank you for this. This is Girls Play Footy on RSN Carnival, our first episode of 2018. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks very much for your company. Uh, before the break, we heard from Rebecca Dunbar, who played uh, with the Aussie Sparks on their tour of the United States, which ended with them uh, playing a couple of exhibition matches at the US AFL Nationals. You can actually watch those games online by going to youtube.com forward slash USAFL 1997. And uh, when we were calling those two games, uh, we had a special guest during uh, the coverage of one of those matches, being Catherine Smith, the Melbourne Demons footballer. She also played for the Eastern Devils in the VFLW competition. Now, Smitty was over in the US on holidays, but helped coach the uh, New York Magpies for a couple of weeks before they came to San Diego and then did the running duties for them. She joined us on special comments for the first Aussie Sparks game to talk about what she thought what the standard of US women's footy was like, the standard of Canadian women's football with a number of them playing for the Eastern Devils over the past few years and also her thoughts on the better player, Isabel Huntington or Chloe Malloy and a little bit of a discussion about her own uh, company that she set up, Girls Footy Australia, which is helping uh, train the next generation of women's footballers. Here's our interview with Catherine Smith. You've come here, obviously, to help with the New York Magpies. You've yep. done a bit of running, and uh, as we speak, some of the New York Magpies players are out there, lined up in position, just waiting for the Aussie Sparks to come out, because uh, Graves is still having a chat with them. How have you seen the skills of the American women? Because uh, unlike us in Australia, not only not having the facilities that we have, that they only get to play a handful of games as anything more than 12 a side a year. Yeah, I think it's really hard um, for the girls because they aren't really taught from a young age like we are to kick the ball. So a lot of them are picking up the ball when they're 24 or 25 and trying to kick the footy. So for me, a massive thing was just teaching them the basics of how to kick and just giving them a little more tweaks that we as Australians, we get taught with your follow-through and straightening up your hips and those types of things. And then other than that, their aggression and their want to actually play has been incredible. So that's something you can't teach, but they've absolutely nailed it. One thing as well that I wonder how hard it is to try and, as I say, convert the language to Aussie rules is there's, they come from a mix of sports. Yep. We're used to, obviously, in Australia, a lot of women actually coming from basketball now to Aussie rules. But we see in the US, strangely enough, some from roller derby, but the majority have come from rugby or Gaelic football backgrounds. Do you have to try and explain to them almost differently about the kicking styles? Oh, you're used to doing this, but you have to change to this? Yeah, definitely. I think with the rugby, it's their plant foot is very crooked and they're bringing the hips around rather than actually being square to their player. Um, so all of that is just making sure that they're actually straight and their follow-through is going to their player. Lucky enough, most of them do play basketball. So to relate that to basketball is just that when you're doing your free throw, everything has to be going to the basket. What have you thought so far about the US AFL all-comers? Like the women that we've seen through the tournament, the aggression's been great, but I guess it comes down to what next, what they do with the ball? Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of them are still learning and you see them kind of stop and think rather than it come naturally to them. So that's just going to come with more game time and more training. Uh, tell us a little about Drake Casillas, who, of course, uh, you've been staying with in yes. New York. Uh, Drake's an absolute um, great person. She's one of the most fantastic people I've met. And I think she's just absolutely striving with her football. She took 
great overhead mark in our last game, and it's just great defender, reads the play really well, and great to tackle the ball. And just generally, what was the feel around the New York camp when they held on for that victory against Sacramento, getting the monkey off the back after a winless 2016? I think they were all pumped. There was water flying, everyone jumping at each other. It was very exciting to be part of. Now, can you tell us a little bit about Girls Footy Academy? What have you set up in Australia, and what are you teaching the girls back there? Um, so we basically set up a program which allows young youth girls to be coached by AFLW players, and it's really about skills and um, giving their tools to become the best player they can be. So teaching them how to the basics of how to kick, how to pick up the ball, how to tackle, and doing an environment where they um, are put under pressure and they have to actually put in the game sense as well. So we're trying to create uh, extra development in the pathway between club and TAC to help them on their journey. And I believe at least so far, some of them have been during the school holiday period, so not to uh, interrupt, particularly for a lot of them when it comes to exam study period. Yeah, definitely. So we normally run an eight-week academy, which is during the term once a week, but then the holiday camps and clinics are really popular because it does give that girl the girls who are busy during school terms to actually have an opportunity to be a part of it. Out of the players of New York and some of those that you've seen for the tournament, who's some of those that have caught your eye? Um, I think, obviously, Kim is an incredible forward. Um, she has a great kick and great hands. I think it's just getting it to her. Um, a team needs to be able to deliver forward um, out in front. And then obviously Grace, who just marked the ball then. Um, she's a solid unit and is not afraid to tackle and just hunt the footy. And then we have our rock slash halfback, Nat, who's an incredible athlete um, and has really good basketball hands, so which helps her a lot. And uh, one thing about Kim as well, she's a fiery customer. <laughs> yes, she definitely She will tell you what she's thinking. Of course, you have Moreau playing with you at the Eastern Devils and quite a number of Canadian players that have come through the journey. Obviously, Kendra Heil is out at the moment, as we know, with an injury, but you've had Jacqueline Holiday, Leah Vance of Venet. What do you think of the Canadians that have come through and tried their hands at State League football? Um, I think they've done very well. You can't fault their aggression and their tackling pressure, um, and they just want to learn. It's been incredible. They've been just sponges off all of us, and it's just so great to have them in the team. They really add to our culture. And, what it's, and coming down to it skills-wise, I'll put the big judgment call on. You've seen yeah. Amy Lego, you've seen Kenny, Kendra Heil, and you've seen Valley Moreau. Who's the better of the three? Oh, that's, they're very different players. Um, yeah. I think Val's your in and under. Um, Kenny probably has a bit more of your outer space, run with the footy and probably kick. And Lego just is an absolute jet. Like She'll hunt it, she'll get it, and... Um, probably has the skills up there as well. That's media training, but it's very diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> Not picking one favourite out of that. Finding uh, positives for all, but all very good footballers. And, and it's just lucky that you've had Lego and Moreau through your sides. Both officially players of the world, so to speak, as Definitely. in winning that title at IC14 and IC17, respectively. Yeah, 100%. So great to have them. Also interesting to see, of course, there was big talk about uh, Chloe Malloy and Isabel Huntington, who was going to go pick one. <laughs> Huntington got taken as pick one. You played against Malloy at senior women's yep. level. You played with Huntington at um, at uh, under 18s levels with with the Vic Metro. Who's the better footballer? <laughs> um, non-biased, I would go with Izzy at Huntington. I just think she's yeah. a bit more all-rounder. She's experienced and she yeah. is one of the most beautiful people you'll ever meet. Um, she really knows how to lead a squad and create a culture. Obviously, Chloe is just a fresh footballer. Um, and I've said to her that she should probably have a few games in the back line so she can understand that defensive pressure, but her ability to just mark the ball and slot goals is incredible for a first-year player. And I remember seeing her game against uh, St Kilda Sharks where she was sent to tag Bree Davey. Yeah, I watched that. It was very good to see her um, actually put on some pressure and ho hold up with one of the best in our competition. 
And I guess just to explain for those at home that are going to get to see Huntington, and particularly the Sparks girls that might be watching that, what is it about Huntington that makes her stand out as a footballer? Um, she's just so clean with the ball. Um, she'll go up and she'll go to the ground and she'll pick up the ball. Um, the ball just comes to her and she has an incredible ability to just go to each contest and each contest. She is an elite runner and I think that's really obvious in the way she plays. And what's her training and preparation like? You've probably seen that up close. How, how does she prepare? I know you're obsessed about training and getting things right for footy. How's her approach? Um, I think she's always very calm and collected before a game. Um, she likes to get around everyone, have a little bit of a laugh, but um, definitely has her moment before she heads out to the field. And her pre-season, the way she works in pre-season, incredible. Um, coming off injury, she just is one of the hardest workers out there. And you talked about uh, Huntington and Malloy being different uh, footballers, uh, different people as well. I know Malloy wants to get into sports media uh, and do that, whereas a very different career for Huntington. She wants to be, hopefully in a few years' time, Dr. Huntington. Yes, yeah, she is an absolute genius. So I think she did like maths message in year 11 and killed it. Incredible person. And what was probably frightening for everyone that did uh, schoolwork with her because of um, that she had her knee injury yep. and she wasn't able to play, that essentially freed her up all that time to do all the study. <laughs> Definitely. And yeah, she is one smart cookie. And just uh, quickly as well, seeing this game and seeing the Nationals tournament that you have, for you, how far is that gap between uh, AFLW or even State League football to what the USA girls now? What's some of the things that I guess they've got to try and work on so we close that gap? I think it's just definitely the basic skills, um, like your ability to kick, pick up the ball and tackle well is what's going to allow them to actually create a good style of football and a really fast, exciting style of football. And we thank Catherine very much for her time. And we should note, as much as Catherine played with the Eastern Devils in the VFLW competition last year, because the Devils won't be playing in VFLW this year, she will be pulling on the Casey Demons jumper and playing out of Casey Fields for the VFLW side in season 2018. But, of course, AFLW kicking off in less than a month when she'll be playing again with the Melbourne Demons, and we wish her all the very best. You're listening to Girls Play Footy on RSN Carnival, the first episode of 2018. And a quick reminder, you can download this program as a podcast on Thursday mornings by going to either SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts and searching for Girls Play Footy. We've got online now the co-founder, and editor of the girlsplayfooty.com website in Matt Marsden. Matt, Happy New Year. How are you? Very well, Peter. It's always a pleasure to be on. Great to have you on the line to talk about the 10 best AFLW games as we are now officially less than one month away from the beginning of the AFLW season for 2018. February 2, it starts with Carlton and Collingwood at Princess Park. Let's have a look at number 10 on your list. You've also put the highlights uh, of these games in your articles, which you can see online at girlsplayfooty.com. And you've kicked off by that game at the Gabba, the Lions and the Magpies. Yeah, no, it was a real thriller. And it was um, one of those games that it took a little while to get going and you really questioned, you know, if you probably watched the first half, you'd say, why is this game on the list? Because there's only two goals kicked between the teams, two goals, six to be exact. And, uh, there wasn't a whole lot to sink your teeth into, but that second half, everything just sort of came to life. Kate McCarthy had uh, that goal, which she uh, which she really should have won goal of the year for, where she took about five or six bounces on the run. And someone with a pacemaker, it's pretty difficult to do or pretty impressive to do. Uh, and, uh, and Collingwood started pressing late on, and it got down to the final seconds, that game where Collingwood was surging forward. And had they gloved a mark, they would have had a shot after the siren. But unfortunately, Mo Hope couldn't uh, bring it in and Brisbane won by four points. 
And uh, leading disposal getter for the Lions in that game was Emma Zilke with 14 disposals. But it was beyond her disposals, wasn't it? And I remember her just tackling everybody in that frantic last two and a half minutes. Well, that's Emma Zilke to a T. I don't think she got over 20 disposals once during the season last year, but she's still in your top 10 players in the competition just from her leadership and the stuff that, as you mentioned, that she does off the football. She is just a superstar, Emma Zilke. Is she quite possibly the most underrated captain and maybe even footballer in the AFL women's competition? I don't think it's close. Emma Zilke is the one. And look, if she was the sort of player that would get 25 touches and a goal every game, you know, we probably still would be talking a little bit uh, less than what she deserves because of uh, where she plays her football. Indeed, if she was under the spotlight in Melbourne, who knows how big her profile would be. Uh, Going across to game number nine on your list, it's another one involving the Magpies. Yes, it was another cracker. This time, Collingwood was on the right result. A real thriller with Fremantle. Two teams that were desperate to get their season started. They both started to, you know, start a bit slowly and they couldn't really get going. And this game, it was one of those ones where you thought, all right, whoever wins this is still in the hunt. Whoever loses has got to be out. In fact, uh, they would have been out just by mathematical chances. So uh, the fact that the game came down to a one-point decision and there was the chance uh, for Fremantle to go forward late, uh, it was just an absolute thriller to watch. And credit to Mo Hope. She couldn't glove the mark in the last game we just discussed. But this one uh, takes a mark across half back with 40 seconds left and drops down. And, oh, suddenly her back hurts. Isn't that funny how that happens? Dare I say the experience and composure of a senior player not to panic in that situation and to milk the cloth oh, for everything it's worth. Uh, for what Fremantle would be angry about, Matt, would be they had five scoring shots in that final quarter. Yeah, and a few of them went really close as well. So, um, in fact, none of the teams kicked any goals in the last term. Fremantle had just the zero goals, five, and Fremantle were one behind. So, if you're looking at it from that point of view, it's 11 scoring shots to nine in Fremantle's favour. They really should be getting that. And had they done so, who knows? The whole season might have been a bit different. Lara Filicamo, 21 disposals for Fremantle. Dana Hooker with 20 disposals. It's interesting to note, out of the best players for Collingwood that day, we've got four listed Two of them are no longer with the club, Nicholas Stevens and Alicia Eva. Yeah, they are very active in the off-season with Collingwood. And Nicholas Stevens, we know that she can be a bit of an accumulator if you need her to across half-back. Uh, Carlton will be very happy about that. But I think the one that stands out there is Melissa Kyes, who was a bit underrated, I think, last year. And she's probably going to have a more prominent role in Collingwood's defence this year. Let's continue our look through the best games of season 2017. This was the win for GWS and essentially knocked out Melbourne's uh, finals chances. The Demons, I guess, will always look back at this game going, what on earth went wrong? Absolutely. And look, had Melbourne won, they would have been in the grand final. Let's just be clear about that. It would have been no Adelaide. It would have been Brisbane, Melbourne, and that would have been a heck of a grand final. But GWS comes along and spoils the party. It's a really one of those interesting games in that, um, of course, we discussed plenty about where, where the football in 2017 and Melbourne, they lost in round one against Brisbane, which you've got to say they did lose, but they weren't terrible. Uh, they were just outplayed by a better team in the wet. Uh, but against GWS, you got to, it was just a real head scratcher. We're watching it and GWS kicked the first two goals of the game and we're sort of being like, all right, well, eventually Melbourne's going to flick on the gear and they're going to start churning and they're going to run away with this game. They only managed the one goal nine 
uh, behinds for the game end up losing by five points. And as we mentioned, missing out on the grand final because of this loss. And very similar to the last game where the team that won kicked just the solitary point in the final term, while the team that lost had five opportunities, five scoring shots all going astray. Yeah, it's, uh, if you want to look at it from that that point of view, it's probably not the best game. But look, if you're watching it and if you watch the whole game, I'd probably say skip to the last quarter because the first three quarters are a bit slow. But that last quarter, oh, it's something to watch because you've got the underdog that is just clinging on to a thin lead. If they gave up one goal, they'd be losing and, you know, they just powered it out. And, and that celebration when they did win. you got to remember, this game was played at the most ridiculous time as well. Yeah. It was a five o'clock kickoff in, in Sydney's West on a Friday afternoon, absolutely hammering down with rain. There's hardly anyone there except for maybe about 100 or 200 really faithful Giants fans. And they lost it when that siren went. The GWS's first ever win at AFLW level by five points. Uh, That is game number eight on your list. We go to uh, game number seven. We've had some low-scoring ones, and then we had a shootout, at least a shootout at women's football level, uh, between Carlton and the Western Bulldogs, uh, number seven. Yeah, that was a real thriller as well. I think if you're going to show anybody an AFLW game to sort of get them, get them enthused for the next season, it'd be this one because of how frequently the goals were and the quality of, of goals as well. It was a really enjoyable game to watch. And, you know, we all love high-scoring football, and that's exactly what this was. And uh, it also featured a, a comeback of sorts. Of course, Carlton was up by 25 points in the final quarter and then ended up by winning by six points. And that was after the Bulldogs went forward late on in the game. A three-goal final term for the Bulldogs wasn't enough in the end. Uh, for, for Carlton Darcy Vessio with three goals, Isabella Eyre had two goals, but she's no longer at Carlton. Uh, she's headed north to the Brisbane Lions. Yeah, and I think we can sort of say universally across all fans in AFLW, we all know Bella Eyre's going to be a player. Uh, so Carlton's lost one there, but of course they're gaining Taylor Harris, so probably don't. Don't lose too much sleep over that. On the flip side, uh, Jamie Lambert kicked a goal for the Western Bulldogs, had 16 disposals, putting her amongst the top disposal getters, but she won't be at the Bulldogs. She's off to the pies for this season. And that's a heck of a get as well for Collingwood. We've talked plenty about the players that they've lost. Jamie Lambert is a genuine get. Okie dokie, continuing our look through here of the list of the uh, best games of season uh, 2017. And uh, we flip over and we see game number six. It is uh, the Brisbane Lions versus Adelaide. But this one, the grand final. Yeah, this one, the grand final coming in at number six. It was a real, I mean, it, another one of those games that if you're going to show anybody or, or get someone enthused about the season, you'd show them this one because obviously the crowd was right into it and there was that atmosphere of any grand final. Um, and, of course, it was a close game as well. It came down just to the one one uh, one straight kick and uh, Brisbane moved forward late in the quarter and Sabrina frederick Shaw was asking for a free kick. So on a different, get, a different day, that free kick probably would be given as well. Um, and we would have had a shot after the siren to tie the scores in the grand final. So that would have been really interesting, I think. That's the famous thing. Who wants to be the umpire to blow the whistle to say that's a throw right on the siren, given the opportunity for a side to tie the game? That's it, and it would have been a – it'd probably be a 50-50 call as well. So – um, probably best for the umpire to keep uh, his. The uh, shot would uh, have been from about uh, forty-five meters too. So, 
for, for, for my money, I reckon it was clearly a throw, but the question was, was it before or right on the siren? And I reckon that's just a yeah, naff sure. doubt to say no. If it happened two seconds earlier, pinned in my book. Um, in that game, 4-11 to 4-5, Adelaide obviously uh, winning the grand final. Aaron Phillips, 28 disposals in that game. That's what you call putting on a click. That's what you call elite athletes stepping up when the going gets tough. At the big yep, stage. 28 disposals and the two goals as well. you got to remember the two goals in a low-scoring game or relatively low-scoring game where your team only kicks four goals. And really, it was the points that got them across the, the, the line, the 11 behinds. But two goals from Aaron Phillips plus the 28 disposals. I mean, she was a shoe in for best, in, for best on ground. Two goal kickers out of that game no longer at those clubs. Taylor Harris, we spoke of earlier, gone to Carlton. While for Adelaide, Kelly Gibson, of course, has uh, gone to Fremantle. And it will be fun to see where Adelaide gets their goals from next year as well, because obviously we see Sarah Perkins down there. But now other than that, we've, we've, generally it comes from the midfield. Of course, Aaron Phillips gets plenty of them. So it'll be really interesting to see where they do get their goals next year. And when looking on girlsplayfooty.com, don't be confused by the Blues and Bulldogs picture. We're talking about the Blues and Lions game for number six. Uh, and it was the second tie in AFLW history. Yeah, and this was uh, one of those ones that we just discussed the grand final. you got to wonder how much this game had to do with that grand final in that Brisbane was leading quite handily uh, late on in the game and then Carlton came storming back to take a draw that they really had no right to take. In that game, uh, better players, Lauren Arndell, 16 disposals, Brianna Davey, 15 uh, for the Lions, Emily Bates, all class being their best and fairest, of course, this year, uh, 22 disposals, uh, Megan Hunt taking 19 disposals as well. Um, again, uh, Carlton come away out of that one as their last game of the season. Okay, frustrated they didn't make the finals, but knowing that they can match it with the best. Um, yeah. For the Brisbane, it, like you said, for the Sorry, Brisbane Lions, they probably came away a bit damaged, knowing that they didn't finish the season technically um, as champions, winning every game because they had that one tie. And you have to remember as well that Adelaide kicked the goal within the first fifteen seconds in that grand final, and I mean, maybe it has nothing to do with it, maybe it's just coincidence. But when you have a hangover from the last week where you've just dropped a four-goal lead in the last quarter, you got to wonder where your mind's at when you start the next game. We are looking at the 10 best AFLW matches of 2017 here on Girls Play Footy. We're chatting with Matt Marsden, co-founder and editor at Girls Play Footy. And, uh, Matt, we go across now to game number four. Uh, This is Adelaide and Melbourne. This game was played up at TIO Stadium in Darwin. Yes, and also played in 30-degree heat and get this 70% humidity. So the sweat was in, coming in buckets during that game. And, I mean, you were just watching that game. I was watching it from the comfort of my couch in front of the air conditioner, and I was feeling a bit tired. So uh, the players were really giving everything they had. And it was a really high-quality game as well, which I, I guess you probably wouldn't expect when the, the conditions were as they were. But both teams were at their absolute best. It was a back-and-forth sort of a contest and came down uh, to just the two points for Melbourne and it was a real crucial win for Melbourne because obviously they're coming off that loss that we just discussed against GWS. They have to win to stay in the race. 
one of the goal kickers for Melbourne and that day, Deanna Berry, no longer at the D's. Of course, she'll be at the Bulldogs uh, for the 2018 season. Aaron Phillips with 20 disposals. Angela Foley from the Northern Territory on her home deck with 13 touches. Karen Paxman, all class with 21. And Elisa O'Day, I'll highlight, with 16 disposals, not just because of the disposals, but probably the most gift image, I reckon, out of AFLW is her going backwards with the pack, with the flight of the ball, and getting absolutely bowled over while jumping up to try and get a fist in there to punch the ball away. Well, that's Elisa Day to a T, isn't it? She's a player that puts her body on the line. And um, we talk about the big three being her, Karen Paxman and Daisy Pierce. Of those three, Elisa Day is the one who gives everything she's got for her team and gives her body up for the team every single time. And she's you don't really have a big three without her. And she's, the, I, I really think, the glue of that team. And do yourself, Faith, if you're ever on YouTube, uh, just put in a search term of Americans react to AFLW and someone's put up a video of the AFLW's biggest hits and Americans reacting to it and all of them do the same thing in any top of those videos. When they see the Aliso Day thing, they go, what? What? <laughs> they just cannot believe it. It's like, this is real football, ladies and gentlemen. Going to number three on our top ten best AFLW games of uh, 2017 and it was the first draw in AFLW history. Yeah, and this one was another one we probably didn't expect. Both teams, uh, from being GWS and Fremantle, started the season quite poorly. But the expectation was that Fremantle was going to get going. They're going to get churning. They're going to get a win over GWS. And at stages, it sort of looked like that. But GWS, I mean, you, you can have a look at their record in 2017. Yeah, one win, one draw, and, and, and the five losses. But really, they were a lot better than that and, and they were competitive in, in five of their games for sure only the two games that they got blown out in this one uh, you almost felt like they deserved to win it if, if any of the teams were going to win it the absolute thrill it was quite high scoring as well so that's always enjoyable 43 points apiece and um, just a sensational game to watch and I believe if I'm correct it was the game that was the return of Emma Swanson as well and she got 16 touches yes, uh, com- coming back from injury which was uh, big for them Phoebe McWilliams kicking two goals in that game and safe to say I reckon since Phoebe went to GWS and then has come back to play for the St Kilda Sharks last year in the VFLW she seems to have grown as a player from the GWS experience she's always been a player that's been capable of doing good things maybe because she's had the likes of, I don't know maybe Mo Hope originally at St Kilda and she was kind of like in the shadows or playing second fiddle um, now she seems to have, maybe because, you know, she's got 30, 31 or whatever it is her age is now, that she seems to have grown as a footballer and taken and got more confidence, taken on that leadership role. Not that she wasn't in the past. There's just something extra in her football. Yeah, no, there was it was the, the chance to do that at GWS as well. I think that's why a few interstate players have gone there this year is because there's an opportunity to do something as a football and elevate the way that you play. And that forward line, there really wasn't a whole lot going on down there. It was really sort of a situation where you throw a bunch of players down there and see who, who really sticks. Phoebe McWilliams was one, the other one being Jacinda Barclay, who we didn't really expect, but she was very impressive as well last year. But Phoebe McWilliams, she's really found a home as a, a deep forward, as a, a leader forward and she's a great kick of the football too let's have a look at number two on the 10 best aflw matches of 2017 and it was carlton and melbourne doing battle at casey fields yeah a real slow start to this one no goals in the first quarter but when they did come they came 
uh, quick and fast that one. Uh, really absolute belter this one. They were they were drawn late on in the game and uh, just a quite a bizarre finish really in that uh, the ball was across Melbourne's half forward line and I uh, can't think of who got the got a, a boot to the ball but they sent it forward and Rochelle Cranston found herself about 40 metres in space absolutely all by herself in her own forward line and uh, you know, almost apologetically walked in and into goal to kick the goal that was the difference between the teams. And out of that game, uh, Alyssa missed two goals. Uh, Isabella Eyre with uh, two goals. Possessions, Daisy Pierce with 28. Aliso Day with 27. Karen Paxman with 24. Rare day, may I say, Casey Fields, where there wasn't much wind about. It was actually a nice, pleasant day. Yeah, and I, I think uh, the quality of game showed that because, as you mentioned, Casey Fields, it's hard to get a quality game of football out of that ground. Sarah Hosking with uh, 12 disposals for Carlton. Tilly Lucas-Rod with 11. We should mention, since we said the Hosking name, that Jessica Hosking, Sarah's twin, will be back from injury and playing for Carlton this year. Look forward to the commentators mentioning that every five minutes during the next season. It's that fact that's going to get hammered into us and make us want to throw a remote at the (laughs) TV. Um, And finally, we go to the number one game of 2017's AFLW season. And, Matt, it ain't the grand final. It ain't the grand final, but it is the two teams that made the grand final in Adelaide and Brisbane. Um, It's sort of overshadowed by the grand final. In fact, if you try and search for this game, you can't really find a whole lot of details on it because, obviously, uh, what comes up first is the grand final. But this game... Oh, it was an absolute thriller. The uh, the scoring, the lead changed uh, four times across the game. Uh, teams were just going back and forth on the scoreboard. It was a real momentum game in that one team would get the momentum and score, then the other team would. And it's just something that was just absolutely brilliant to watch. Just an excellent competitive game of football. In the end, 4-6-30, Adelaide defeated by Brisbane 5-3-33 at a packed Norwood Oval. And I remember when you posted this article uh, on our Facebook and Twitter pages, the instant reaction from those that had been to the game was all the same thing. They said they hadn't seen Norwood Oval that packed in ages, and they said the joint was jumping. It was, and I think it was one of those examples of of uh, suburban football being brought back to life by AFLW, and that's where you want to see these games be played. You don't want to see them move up to the bigger stadiums uh, because this game at Norwood, just the if you watch the highlights that are on girlsplayfooty.com, you can just get an idea of, of how excited the fans were to be and uh, unfortunately didn't get the win on that occasion. And just to highlight, um, I guess, a little piece of trivia was the, the the games on Saturday night that were shown by Channel 7, at least for the first four weeks, were shown on the main seven network channel. This was the first of, I think, three uh, AFLW games where they shunted it on Saturday night to the secondary seven mate channel. So would you believe it that the very first time that Channel 7 put AFLW on their secondary channel, it ends up being the game of the year? And I think the funniest thing about this as well is if you have a look at every uh, every game on the list, uh, there are no games from the first two rounds. So it was a season that really started, you know, we needed the first couple of weeks to get going before the real highlights started. But uh, unfortunately, Channel 7 weren't willing to wait, but shock horror there. And we should say out of that game as well, to, to leave on a positive note, the final quarter performance of Sabrina Frederick-Traub, who stood up. Uh, to when Adelaide were throwing literally everything at them in the dying minutes, uh, including almost a, a late shot of goal from Sarah Perkins, but just outside of range. 
Yep. Um, and look, there was a stage during that season last year, I discussed this with you back at then, Peter, where I said Sabrina frederick Traub was the best player in the competition, and there was a point where she was. Absolutely. She was just uh, unlucky. Uh, when I say unlucky, with all due respect to Erin Phillips, who is a worthy, worthy winner, you can only give out one medal unless, of course, there's a tie. But Sabrina Frederick-Traub, certainly, if they gave the award to her, would have been a worthy winner. They are the top 10 games that are available right now on girlsplayfooty.com. Uh, Matt, we start again on uh, February 2nd. Uh, it hasn't been announced yet, but uh, we believe, I think there will be some practice games coming up around the Australia Day weekend to give everyone a hit out like they did uh, last year. We know Collingwood, for, for a fact, had a hit out against uh, the Box Hill Hawks just before Christmas. I'm not too sure what the result would have been, but I imagine it would have been a bit lopsided. Uh, probably not. I think they did the same thing last year as well. I think it might have been actually Carlton that did it. One of the, it might have been Collingwood where they had a tune up against a team and absolutely smashed them, but I mean, they didn't have the best season or the best start to the season, so who knows? And just before I go, just a quick uh, housekeeping. Uh, of course, the, we should point out that there's three uh, big players and you know, get your thoughts on them that are due to return to AFLW who did not play in Season 1. One that should have played, but um, did her knee during... Um, the 2016 Quaffle season uh, was Jordan Zanchetta. The reason why we say she should play, she played exhibition match football. She will be playing for the Brisbane Lions this year. Yep, and uh, if you're going to be uh, focusing on any player or any newcomer to really stand out this year, she's the one. She's a senior sort of player. Uh, she was going to be a key player in, in Brisbane's midfield and was a huge loss. In fact, I thought they weren't going to be competitive because they lost a player of her, her calibre. Uh, so bringing a player back of her calibre into that team that we already know can make the grand final, you've got to be excited if you're a Brisbane fan. And just quickly, two players who both did their ACLs for the same team in the same game, Marquise. They were Kiara Bowers and uh, Renee Forth. They were playing for the Coastal Titans, did their knees in the 2016 semi-final. Uh, they were Marquise, Renee at Fremantle, Kiara at uh, – sorry, pardon me, Renee at GWS, Kiara at Fremantle, uh, and both of them will be making their AFLW debuts this year. It'll be interesting to see the, the impact that Renee Forth has on that GWS side because, as we mentioned, they were a bit shallow last year and they took a little bit little while to get going. They were always competitive. They were always a very nuggety sort of team, but they just seemed to lack the quality to get over the line. This year, they've added quality in the free agency. They've added quality in the trade period, and they're getting an absolute stub, top 20 player uh, in Renee Forth back into that team. So, again, something else to be very excited for the GWS fans, of which there are plenty of. Uh, I think the membership numbers, GWS was one of the top teams. So, And just before we let you go, Matt, on girlsplayfooty.com, what can we look forward to coming up leading to the start of the AFLW season? Well, we've got plenty of coming up. Uh, of course, next week we'll, we'll be having the AFLW's top 50 players list that we uh, began last year and is, is – Hopefully going to be a bit more accurate this year. We did really well last year with what we had, but this year uh, we've got statistics to back it up. We've got champion data figures to back it up. So uh, look out for that one from Monday of next week. Uh, and then, of course, we've got the team previews coming up and a whole bunch of different stuff that will, you know, some looks at uh, different looks at teams, some analysis of players, of key players, analysis of uh, the middle tier players. There's plenty coming up on Girls Play Footy, so jump on board. And spoiler alert for that uh, top 50, I can guarantee you one player that wasn't on the 50 last year that'll be on this year, Aaron Phillips. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think somehow we'll find a find a spot for her. <laughs> Safe to say, nobody last year knew how good she was going to be, but uh, what a way to make an impact, being obviously the league best and fairest and obviously uh, taking out that premiership. Matt, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy, and we look forward to uh, catching up with you to talk more AFLW throughout the AFLW season right here on the RSN Carnival Channel. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Almost time for me to get on out of here, but a quick reminder again to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash girls play footy on Twitter. You can find us at girls play footy and also GPF radio and on Instagram, just search for girls play footy. And as I said, some great articles are coming up soon on the girls play website, starting from next week, as Matt said, when we uh, have a look at the top 50 AFLW footballers, and then we'll have the team previews all counting down to when the season kicks off for AFLW on Friday the 2nd of February with Carlton and Collingwood at Princess Park. I'm Peter Holden. Look forward to your company again next week, Wednesday evening from 6pm on RSN Carnival. Until then, it's bye for now.